HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And um, so if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know I grew up on Long Island back in the 70s. Uh, And, you know, we lived in like your typical suburban split level house. You familiar with the split level? Basically what that means is the floors of the house aren't like stacked up in a row on top of each other like a townhouse. But they're kind of like more offset, sort of cantilevered. Like stacked in like a staggered way, as if maybe like a six-year-old made the house but couldn't quite, you know, get it all to line up. You, most of us probably grew up in houses like that. Um, you're familiar with the split level. And because of the way it was arranged, I think for my entire 18 years I lived there, I never quite really got a sense of which room was on top of which room. Like I had to really think about that. As I was kind of writing notes for the show today, I was, I haven't lived in the house since 1985 or something. I had to really think about like, where was my room over the garage? How, how did it work out? And like the basement was only kind of half submerged in the ground and the garage was under my room, which now explains why it was so cold in there. Now I get it. Now, it wasn't like some Frank Lloyd Wright cantilevered modernist masterpiece by any means. It was like your basic cookie cutter house built in the 50s, three floors, three bedrooms, 
all the same down the block, you know, split level, split level, ranch, split level, split level, ranch. Nothing exciting. But um, the reason I'm talking about this is because, you know, in our split level house, we woke up every morning and went down our one little six steps to the kitchen, which was on the middle level, to have our breakfast. And my mom, being, you know, a mom, trying her best to nourish us, made sure that we had a big cup of milk every morning. Every morning with these little plastic mugs and she filled them up and she thought she was doing what was right, making us drink milk. That's what she was always told and we had our milk every day. And, you know, my mom had spent her childhood in war-ravaged Europe, basically, you know, narrowly escaping starvation. So we were going to drink milk because she didn't have any. We were going to drink it. And, um... You know, my sister and I were just little kids at the time, you know, little ones. And as it so often happens with little kids, things spill. And so more often than not, that milk would spill. You know, it happens like you're a little kid. The cup is big. Oh, you spilled the milk. Maybe it's by accident, but maybe not always. So we'd be sitting there in pajamas soaked to the skin with milk you know, in a spreading cold puddle on our chair, our little empty plastic cups in hand, you know, maybe in tears because we were covered in cold, wet milk, needing some help from mom because we were little and we were sitting in a puddle of milk. But the second that a drop of milk hit the floor from the spill, my mother would be racing down the stairs of the kitchen to the basement, which was directly under the kitchen. That's why I had to think about the house, because the basement was right under the kitchen, for some mysterious reason, some horrific event that would always seem to be happening exactly at the same time that the milk was spilled. Like, it just seemed like this strange coincidence of events. I would spill milk. I'd be sitting there wet, crying. She'd go running down to the basement. And I could never really understand why, in my moment of milk-soaked need, She would go running downstairs like the house was on fire and she was abandoning us. And years later, I finally asked her why she would run down there in our moment of need when we would spill our milk. And she explained that because of the way the house was designed, where we would sit in the kitchen was against a wall that was over the basement, like I said. And the seam where the floor met the wall apparently was not you know, watertight. And so if milk spilled on the floor, it would start to drip down into the basement. And right below where we sat was where her sewing table was. My mom was a big sewer. And she had this entire wall of shelves filled with fabric, piled high by the sewing machine. And so if the milk spilled on the floor, it would soak through that seam in the wall down into the basement and it would drip and soak into all her fabric And once the milk got into the fabric, it would begin to spoil and it would smell and go rancid and ruin the fabric. Not to mention get all over her sewing machine and all over the floor, where apparently it would linger and putrefy and cause utter havoc and misery. Much more utter havoc and misery than having like a small, wet, crying little child in milk-soaked pajamas sitting upstairs in the kitchen, bewildered by her abandoned state. So I got it once she explained it. It was a logical explanation. I mean, I once had a container of milk spill in the backseat of my car, and I didn't know it, and I couldn't get in the car without gagging 
for weeks from the smell. But, you know, when I was four or five, six, I was utterly in the dark about it, why it was happening. I just thought it was some weird coincidence, some crazy cosmic coincidence that a disaster was happening down in the basin every time I spilled my milk. And it was like some crazy voodoo event that like maybe I was drinking the milk and that was causing the havoc down below in some indirect, psychically connected way. Now, little did I know that it would actually almost turn out to be that way in a more kind of metaphorical way later on that drinking milk every morning in those pre-organic days was actually causing havoc down below just in a very different below like the down there below like if you have a belt on look below that belt that's where all that milk was actually causing havoc in your metaphorical basement, non-organic, hormone-juiced, foodiness milk, the stuff we all grew up drinking, the stuff we're still maybe drinking, may actually be the cause of all sorts of down-below diseases and even a few up top, too. Now, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, there was this ad campaign that said, uh, used to say, milk does a body good. But like everything else, I think there's more to the story. Got milk? Then maybe you've also got hormones? Or how about pesticide residue? How about feminized gonads? How about ovarian cancer? How about enlarged male breasts? Those are technically not down below. But it's all kind of that same scary, dark basement of foodiness that's lurking in your milk. And sure, milk is good for us, but only if it's real milk, foodiness-free milk. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more about the havoc down below. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wise, your host. So in the last couple episodes of Let's Get Real, I've been talking a lot about what the food industry does to our food, especially our meat and our eggs, to make them bigger and fatter and cheaper and a lot less healthy for us, even harmful, we could say. And the dairy industry is right there with them, right there with the meat and the eggs, the dairy industry. Foodiness is rampant in the dairy world, too. It's in our milk, it's in our cheese, it's in our yogurt, it's in all our dairy products. Because it's all about bigger, faster, more, stronger, cheaper, better in the food industry. And so dairy cattle are pumped full of hormones to keep them lactating and to keep them pregnant. Basically, dairy cattle are artificially inseminated so that they're pregnant all the time. And if they're not pregnant, they're fed hormones to keep them in that state so that they lactate all year 
round. They're also, of course, given growth hormones. You know about our, what is it, RGH, recombinant, huma, shulala, recombinant bovine growth hormone that's in a lot of milk. And, of course, because they're industrial or industrially raised animals, they're fed animal feed made of corn and soy instead of the grass, which they should be eating, which if you listen, I talked about two weeks ago on Meet Your Meat. So all that stuff is causing the same problems in dairy food that we have seen in our meat and our eggs. And you also may remember that I've talked about that unhealthy imbalance of omega-6s to omega-3s in our food, where animals that are supposed to eat grass should have more omega-3s than omega-6, but if they eat the corn and soybeans, they have more 6 than 3, and how that may be contributing to heart disease. And because of the inorganic feed, they're getting pesticide residues, and all those hormones wind up in the milk. It's all concentrated. Basically, milk, meat, eggs, they're concentrates. It's like an engine, you know, with a car. It's like what you put in and what you get out, but a lot of it stays behind in the oil filter. Milk is kind of like that oil filter from the animal. Corn-fed animals have higher levels of saturated fat. It's the same foodiness story over and over and over again. The food industry makes this stuff. They tell you it's good for you. Maybe it's not so good for you. Does milk do a body good? Well, maybe if you're Mongolian. So Mongolians are nomadic people. They're nomadic cow herding people in northern China. Maybe you've heard of them. Genghis Khan famous Mongol. You know that Genghis Khan has 16 million descendants in the world now? 16 million. That guy was very active. He must have been drinking a lot of milk. So Mongolians are these nomadic cow herding people who drink a lot of milk. A lot of cow's milk because that's what their food is. And when they tested Mongolian milk against American conventionally produced milk, they found some interesting things. Because the Mongolians drink all this milk, and we drink all this milk, but the Mongolians don't have the same types of cancer that we do, ovarian and breast cancer and that kind of stuff, testicular cancer. Someone said, let's let's do a test on this. And so this was published in um, Harvard Magazine a couple years ago. The American milk tested 33 times higher in estrogen and 10 times higher in progesterone than the Mongolian milk. Now, why is that? Well, the Mongolian cows are only milked for human consumption five months out of the year because that's when their natural fertility cycles occur. That's when they have their calves, and that's when they give milk five months out of the year. Here in Foodiness USA, we've got milk coming from those cows 300 days a year. American cows are milked 300 days days a year thanks to them being kept triggers and producing all year round so that's a lot of hormones in the milk and that's a lot of hormones in you a pregnant cow is like a pregnant woman super hormonal they get very weepy they watch a lot of gilmore girls they're very needy So their hormones are at a way higher level than a non-pregnant cow, and they're producing way more milk, and those hormones wind up in your milk. But it makes financial sense for dairy farmers to keep them knocked up all year round, fat, pregnant, eating their corn and soy, standing around, not moving, kind of like people in this country. It makes financial sense for them because then they get milk 300 days a year as opposed to five months out of the year. 
So would you willingly ingest 33 times the estrogen and 10 times the progesterone that you need? What about your kids? Would you pour a little vial of creamy white hormones over their cornflakes if you knew that you were doing it? If it said on the milk container, this milk contains 33 times the estrogen as Mongolian milk, would you willingly buy it? Well, if you're buying conventionally raised milk, that's what you're getting. If it's non-organic, non-pastured milk, that's what's in there, people. You wouldn't ingest it if it were placed in front of you and it's said enriched with hormones on it. But since it's hidden from us in our foodiness milk, we take it at face value that it's okay. We trust the industry. We say, oh, they must, they know what they're doing. Milk does a body good. It's what you need. Yeah, but not when it's making men grow breasts. And you don't have to be like a snooty foodie or a Brooklyn smugster to care about this one. I mean, this affects everybody, regardless of how you feel about sustainability and organics and all that. You should care about this one because it's affecting your nads. It's affecting your gonads. And it's affecting everybody's equally NASCAR nads and NPR nads alike. The full spectrum of us. Everybody, And that's what's scary about foodiness dairy is that it may be causing all sorts of havoc down there in the basement where it's soaking into our fabric and going bad and it's not doing our bodies much good. Especially the female basement where our reproductive organs are held. Reproductive organs are highly susceptible to hormones, especially outsider hormones, hormones from other animals. And now our reproductive organs may be going wild, going haywire from decades and decades of ingesting these non-organic hormonal dairy products that we consume in utter fear of things like osteoporosis and old lady hip fractures. You got to drink your three glasses a day. You got to get your calcium. You got to get your milk in because otherwise when you're old, you're going to shrink and curl up and be four foot two and break your hip and fall down and die. And not just for the ladies either, you know, gentlemen too. The testosterone levels of American males have been falling steadily for years for the same reason, from all the hormones in our food. Not just from the milk too because we're all ingesting hormones from eating fish and the fish are getting them because there's all this birth control pill pee going into the ocean. (laughs) All those hormones in birth control that you pee away and then it gets flushed out into the sea and then it works its way up the food chain and then it works its way right back up to us at the top of the food chain. Talk about gonads gone wild. But milk is food and it's a real food and it's a food I completely believe in and support and it's been eaten for millennia by humans in herding cultures in dairy cultures and that's been okay it's worked for everybody for thousands of years but then you know the industrial revolution and world war ii and chemicals and engineering and pesticides came along and then came foodiness and the discovery of factory farming and those lab synthesized hormones and artificial insemination and then the milk really started to seep into the basement. We're going to take another short break, and when we come back, even more about Down Below. 
Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So if you like this show, and I hope you do, um, you can become a fan of it on Facebook. Just search for Let's Get Real on Facebook and let me know that you're liking the show. Questions, comments are always appreciated. You can also always leave comments on the Heritage Radio Network website. We love those and we love to read them. You can find all the Heritage Radio shows ever created on the Heritage Radio Network website and also on iTunes. And they're all available for free podcasting. So there's no excuse not to listen. You can also always listen to past Let's Get Real shows on letsgetrealshow.com. And you can leave comments there too. The choices are endless. It's really overwhelming. I know. So anyway, we're talking about milk. And milk is a food that helps us grow. We all learn that in school. Makes us grow big and strong and tall. Children who are fed milk get taller. Although I drank a lot of milk and I'm only four foot eleven, so something went really wrong there. It was probably because I was spilling it all into the basement and not drinking it. But it's full of nutrition. You know, milk is like some serious nutritional food. And that is something that there's a lot of debate about. You know, whether you think it's fit for humans or not, or you choose to drink it or not, it's fine. It's totally up to you. But you can't really debate that it is very nutritious. There's a lot of protein, a lot of minerals. And foodiness milk will give you all of that nutrition too. It's all in there. And the food industry makes sure that we know that. They want us to drink it. But they also very effectively hide from us what's in the foodiness milk. The growth hormones, the estrogen, the pesticide residue from industrial feed, the omega-6s from the grain-based diet, all that stuff that I keep talking about that you probably don't want to hear anymore from me. But it's all in there too. It's not on the label. They're not saying it. They're just saying drink your milk and got milk and does the body good and all that. So if you do decide or you do drink milk and you are a dairy consumer, you certainly don't have to be, but if you are, I would say buy organic. I hope you buy organic because studies have linked consumption of non-organic milk to higher rates of all those down below ills, ovarian cancer, breast cancer, like I said, in particular. And here's a really weird little fact that countries that have the highest consumption of dairy products also have the highest rates of those cancers, plus the highest rates of prostate and testicular cancer, too. And that's from the non-organic milk. That's from all the added hormones. So that's a strange little fact. But here's an even stranger fact. Those same countries that have the highest rate of dairy consumption also have the highest rates of osteoporosis. Now, that doesn't make sense. Why do they keep telling me to eat and drink all that dairy to keep my bones strong so that I don't get osteoporosis if it's causing all that osteoporosis? Well, coincidentally, those are the same countries that also ingest the most animal protein in other forms, the most meat. And a lot of people think that osteoporosis is not caused by too little calcium, but by too much protein. Now, there are also uh, studies that are done in countries like Asian countries where people don't drink any milk and don't consume any dairy, and they have the lowest rates of osteoporosis. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One is that those Asian countries tend to have diets that are very high in leafy greens and sesame and other sources of calcium. Those countries also tend to have people who are much more active and a lot more fit 
a lot thinner. And those countries tend to have people whose diets are much lower in animal protein. They don't eat as much meat. All of those things which they think contribute to osteoporosis. A diet that's really high in animal protein and meat tends to be a very acidic diet. And acid leaches calcium out of your bones. Could also be from all the soda that people are drinking because the potassium in soda leaches calcium out of your bones. Also, so it's all really confusing. I think they should change it from got milk to got confusion. I know I'm confused. Now, I love dairy products. I heart cheese and Greek yogurt and cottage cheese and butter. I love all that stuff. And I am totally lactose tolerant. Bring it on. Doesn't bother me at all. Because I probably genetically come from some tribe of goat or sheep or cow raising Jews somewhere back there in the Middle East. Somewhere a long time ago, my people were dairy people. We are definitely dairy eaters. But not everybody is. I mean, you know plenty of people who are lactose intolerant. And that's because it's a genetic thing. Only certain tribes and certain ethnic groups from certain areas of the world are tolerant of lactose beyond infancy. We're all, we're, we're all born lactose tolerant because we have to nurse. But a lot of us lose the ability to digest lactose as we get older. Not me. That's for sure. But Asians, as a rule, except those Mongolians, of course, are not tolerant of lactose because they don't have a lot of dairy in their diet. Some parts of Africa are. Some parts of Africa aren't. Basically, if your people evolved along with ruminant animals, ruminant animals are grazers, they tend to be. It makes sense. You relied on those animals for food. If you didn't grow up, if you grew up like in a place like Japan where there are no grazing animals and you grew up eating fish and sesame seeds and tofu and spinach, then that's how you're getting your calcium from that form. Now, as much as I love dairy and I'm a very pro-dairy kind of person, sometimes I stop and think about something. And that is that it's really, really weird and kind of gross that we are the only mammals who intentionally drink the milk of other mammals. Isn't that kind of disgusting when you think about it? But I think the reason is, is because we were smart enough to figure out how to get their milk from them. And we invented cheese. And cheese is one of the great inventions, I think, of the human animal. You don't ever see, like, any cheese being made by sheep. Like, sheep don't milk themselves and then say, hey, let's turn this into cheese. That would be really great. Or you don't see, like, a goat walking up to a camel and reaching underneath and, you know, squirting out some camel milk. It's only a human thing. We figured it out. We get to eat their milk. And it's only because we figured it out that it became a part of our diet. Now, um, I think that's okay. Like, I think because we figured it out, we have the right to it. You know, you can just shove that sheep out of the way if it's trying to get the milk from the camel. But, you know, we can have it. So, like all other things in foodiness America, it's a complicated situation. It's... I'm totally torn all the time. I mean, I love the dairy. I love sport. But I'm totally torn about between like wanting to eat it and then like feeling like maybe I shouldn't. 
there's research that says you need tons of calcium and there's research that says you shouldn't drink a lot of milk. It makes me feel paralyzed with indecision by every spoonful of yogurt I eat. And one thing you want to remember, though, is a lot of the pro-dairy research that's being done is being done by the dairy industry. And they want you to buy their foodiness-filled crap dairy products like processed American cheese and pink yogurt with NutraSweet. I mean, talk about eating shit. That is like serious foodiness dairy. But then there's a lot of research that says as long as it's organic, it's good. So here we are yet again sitting in our wet, milk-soaked pajamas in tears and frustrated because maybe we just want some milk in our coffee or on our cereal in the morning. And something's going on down below and we don't know what it is and we're confused. Now the good news, of course, for us is that if you just swap out the foodiness milk for the organic milk, you're doing a lot. You're making a big step toward avoiding those sorts of diseases. You're knocking down the amount of hormones you're ingesting by a huge amount. Now what you want to look for when you're buying, of course, is organic. But ideally what you want to look for is milk that's pastured or grass-fed because there can be organic milk but it's organic milk because it's fed organic corn and organic soybeans it's just like with organic eggs or with organic meat there's more to the story than that so you want to really look for the milk that maybe says 100% grass-fed or pastured but that's tricky of course if you don't have access to a farm or a source for that at least buying the organic milk is the way to go and if you can buy something called um Organic Valley Milk. Organic Valley is a great thing because they are a company that buys regionally. So like I live in New York and so they buy from New York State dairy farmers and they pool that milk and they sell it in New York State. If you're in Oregon, it's the same thing. If you're in Minnesota, it's the same thing. So Organic Valley keeps it local but distributes on national scale. So in every way, organic dairy is totally the way to go. Grass-fed is better. Pastured is good, better, but... You do what you can. Non-organic foodiness dairy may be cheaper, but in the long term, it is not worth the savings. I mean, what you save on price, you ingest in hormones. Like I said, if the label said fortified with extra estrogen, would you buy that? Would you want it? Organic dairy can kind of be like your gateway food, like a gateway drug. You can buy that and then you can branch out from there. Now, as far as other dairy products, what you want to remember, though, is that, like I said, dairy products are concentrated. So in butter and in cheese and yogurt, if there's hormones, there's going to be more in those. So maybe try to buy those organic, too. And you can buy organic milk everywhere now. It's in supermarkets. It's really not that hard to find. So check it out. Look for it. See if you can find it. But, you know, we want to we want to be real. This show is called Let's Get Real. So if you're, you know, buying a latte or you're eating a frozen yogurt somewhere, don't freak out that it's not organic milk. Just remember that you can kind of complement that or you can make up for it by drinking the good stuff at home. And even if it's not an animal welfare issue for you or if environmental issues just put you to sleep, you still don't want Soylent Green in your milk, and you don't want it dripping into your metaphorical basement. The hormones in the meat are bad enough. The growth hormones are bad enough. The hormones given to keep them lactating are even worse. And remember that all those hormones are filtering down into your system, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's insidious. It's a slow process. Year by year, you're ingesting that milk, and silently, 
not doing your body any good. Slowly dripping down through the kitchen floor, into the basement, seeping into mom's pile of precious fabric, silently turning rancid and putrid and spoiling and eventually killing us, which is a serious reason to cry over your spilled milk for sure. Now, next week's episode, which is called There's No Such Thing as Whole Grain Captain Crunch, I'm going to rip away the foodiness cereal brainwashing voodoo that we swallow every morning in that bowl with our milk. So if you don't want to eat shit, you should stay tuned for next week's show. We are out of time. Thanks to Jack and Carlos in the control room, and we'll see you next week. Listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up to date news and information. Thanks for listening. As a part of National Food Day, St. John's Bread and Life, Brooklyn's innovative and life-saving food service program based in Bedford-Stuyvesant, is inviting Brooklyn chefs and purveyors to learn about how the organization is marrying the procurement of old-fashioned, locally grown organic produce with the latest technology to deliver healthy, cost-effective meals to those in need. St. John's Bread and Life, located at 795 Lexington Avenue, will hold an open house on Monday, October 24th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Visit www.foodday.org to sign up for the event. The following message has been brought to you by Taste Brooklyn. Our city's finest chefs partner with farmers and local vineyards next to the Green Market for an extraordinary outdoor culinary festival. Try exquisite delicacies using locally grown seasonal delights on the plaza outside Brooklyn's Borough Hall. Top chefs and artisans will offer sumptuous fare paired with premium wines, all to empower our neediest children to get healthy. The mighty FDNY and DSNY harbor their own culinary masters in uniform. They will cook off against the pros. Sample delicious cuisine without stressing over a reservation while supporting a worthy cause. Taste Brooklyn's Feel to Fork Outdoor Culinary Festival, Saturday, October 15, 2011, from 11.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Learn more and buy tickets at tastesofbrooklyn.blogspot.com. That's T-A-S-T-E-S-O-F-Brooklyn.blogspot.com.